Howie Politics and State Affairs Pro offer insider election coverage, polling, and analysis in Indiana. Our nonpartisan news and legislative tools create a winning combination pro subscribers can't live without. For all the resources you need this election season and beyond, visit pro.stateaffairs.com slash IN. That's pro.stateaffairs.com slash IN. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. From Wish TV, this is All Indiana Politics Podcast with Phil Sanchez, unfiltered. Thanks for joining us. Our guest this week is Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch. Lieutenant Governor, thanks for joining us. It's great to be with you, Phil. So um, you're running for the governor. Correct. The governorship of our state. Um, why, do you want, why do you want this job? Let's start there. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I'm not a self-funder. And so some of the, my opponents are self-funders. In fact, I told my husband, I said, you know, honey, if I'd known 45 years ago when we got married that I was going to run for governor one day, I might have held out for someone with more money. <laughs> of course, he said he would have, too. Right. But seriously, no party, Republican or Democrat, has held on to the governor's office for more than 20 years since World War II. Mm. So in 2024, Republicans will have had that office for 20 years. So if we're going to hold on to that office, we need a different kind of candidate. So put me on a stage with the four men I'm running against, and there's one obvious difference. I've got red glasses, and they don't. Right, right. But when you look at the experience at the local level as a county auditor, county commissioner, at the state level, as state representative, auditor of state, and now lieutenant governor, there's no comparison. And as state representative, auditor of state, and now lieutenant governor, I have played a key role in turning the state around, where today we're number one in the Midwest, we're sixth in the nation for our business environment. I'll tell you this, Phil, though. Mm. I'm not going to spend four years sitting in an office with my finger in the wind playing it safe so I can get reelected. I want to boldly lead Indiana into the future. And we will start by eliminating Indiana's state income tax. Okay, we even so have a name for it. We're going to ax the tax. Yeah, I was just reading about it. So let's, let's talk about that. Why do you think that's a good thing? Well, I travel the state. I've been listening to Hoosiers, meeting them where they are. And they're being crushed by the high cost of living, by inflation and Bidenomics. You know, they asked me, you know, what can we do to help us make ends meet? I mean, they're seeing their grocery costs go up. Uh, they know that what they are purchasing today is costing them $18 more. If they're paying $100 four years ago, it cost them $118 today. They're struggling. Right. Everywhere they look, prices are going up. And so we have an opportunity by eliminating Indiana's income tax to put thousands of dollars back into their pockets every year. You know, it's not going to be easy. And special interest groups and big spending bureaucrats are screaming bloody murder and saying it can't be done. But as former vice chair of the House Ways and Means Committee, as former auditor of state, I'm telling you it can be done. Now, it has to be phased in. Mm -hmm. We can't do it overnight. And we have to have triggers in place to protect against economic downturns. But what I would say to those who say we can't do it, I would say, 
really? Government needs more money? Mm. And guess what? That money is not government's. It's Hoosier's money. And so we have an opportunity to give it back to them. When we do that, they will put that money into the economy because 78% of your pre-tax income goes into the economy. So not only are we giving Hoosiers money at a time when they desperately need it, but that money's gonna go back into the economy, increasing our revenues. The Tax Foundation, a think tank in Washington, D.C., ranks Indiana, well, they ranked Indiana ninth in the country for yeah. our overall tax environment. They now dropped us down to 10th in the country for our overall tax environment. But seven of the eight states ahead of Indiana either have no sales or income tax. Mm. So when we eliminate our income tax, not only are we putting money back into Hoosiers' pockets every year, but we're making Indiana the kind of state where people want to move to. Just like today, they're flocking to Tennessee, they're yeah. flocking to Texas and Florida. I had breakfast with a woman this morning who said they have declared their residency in Florida because it's a no-income tax state. If Indiana would do the same, they would be declaring Indiana as the residency. So it is a time to help Hoosiers while they're struggling, but it's also a time to make Indiana competitive because we need people to move to Indiana, you know, because we have 104,000 jobs that are unfilled today. That's only going to increase as we are more aggressive in getting workers and getting jobs here. So to me, it's a win-win. Why do you think your opponents haven't picked up on this? And why do you think uh, the other side pushes back on it? Well, first of all, I don't know that anyone travels the state like I do. Mm -hmm. um, I've been traveling the state for nine years as auditor of state and now lieutenant governor, visiting Hoosiers in their communities all over Indiana, and I'm listening to them. And guess what? They're responding. I was in two parades two, three weeks ago, one in Greenfield and then one down in Evansville, and people on the parade route were yelling, axe the tax. Mm. You know, a woman came up to me at the Harvest Homecoming in New Albany and said, thank you for getting rid of the income tax. Another woman came up to me at the Essen House restaurant in Goshen, wanted a picture with me because I was helping to get rid of the income tax. And so I believe it's because I travel the state and I listen to Hoosiers and I hear what they're saying, and now we have an opportunity to be able to help them. Okay. Um, something else that, you know, when I was going over your background, mental health is extremely important to you. This being uh, October Mental Health Awareness Month, perfect time to have that conversation. For the folks at home who maybe aren't aware, uh, tell us a little bit about your backstory when it, in regards to this and, and why this is in the forefront of your campaign. Sure. I, I, um, thank you. Thank you for highlighting that important issue. You know, um, my family has struggled with mental illness and addiction um, throughout my life. My mother was very loving, but she also struggled with depression her whole life. I didn't realize that when I was a child, you know, because everybody thinks their family's normal. Right. Uh, and it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized how much she struggled. Uh, we buried my brother about this time last year, Larry. He was an alcoholic, and he drank, drank himself to death. Mm. My younger sister, Nancy, 18 months younger, died in her early 20s by suicide on her third attempt. And then our daughter, Courtney, is 16 years sober and bipolar. So I've grown up and lived with those Hoosiers that really have struggled through no fault of their own. It's because of the genes they inherited. Yeah. In fact, my daughter often says to me she got all the bad genes in the family. That's another word she uses. And, mm -hmm. and I said, it's, it's not the hand you're dealt, it's how you play it that's important. 
but we have a responsibility to give people good cards to play. So I never used to talk about my family, not because I was embarrassed or ashamed, but it's painful and it's private. Sure. But during COVID, when I saw what people were going through and how they were struggling, I, I thought now is the time to speak out, now is the time to do something. And my thinking was if, if I share my personal experiences, maybe that gives other people permission to share theirs. And as a result, we saw the General Assembly pass Senate Enrolled Act 1 this past session, which I testified on behalf of uh, in the House and the Senate, which is highly unusual for a governor or a lieutenant governor to testify on behalf of a bill. But I did it because I thought it was so important. Uh, it was establishing the infrastructure, and then they put in the funding, $100 million, for the 988 suicide hotline. Mm -hmm. So now people have a number they can call, just like you call 911 if you have an emergency, if you have a behavioral health crisis, or you just have a question. You can call 988 and be connected to a, a professional who will get you connected to services. And I think that's so critically important moving forward, because since COVID, we have seen a 20% increase in anxiety and depression among the population, mm -hmm. but we've seen a 60% increase among young people. Right. Would it surprise you, Phil, if I told you in the last six months, one out of seven high school boys and one out of four high school girls have contemplated suicide? It would not surprise me one bit. It's the second leading cause yeah. of death among young people, and that's the future of Indiana. So. We've taken an important step forward, but we need to continue to move forward. It's why I co-funded the Indiana Mental Health Roundtable with John Lechleiter, former CEO and president of Eli Lilly, so that we could bring in the private sector and look at how we can come alongside what the state is doing to be able to get help to those that are struggling. So I think we're, we've started on that road. We just need to continue. So, so if you do win, I mean, what would you, what would you want to do with that? What I would do yeah. is in, um, follow the model that Tennessee has chosen. Okay. Uh, they have a model where their Division of Mental Health and Addiction actually hires uh, behavioral health professionals, whether they're psychiatrists or whether they're peer counselors, whether they're coaches, and then they have those professionals that then are available to partner with faith-based organizations or churches to be able to provide the professional help if that church wants to get services to their congregation. It's an incredible model, and the reason I think it can make a difference is 60% of Hoosiers go to church. So we have an infrastructure already in place that's in the business of taking care of people. So why not be able, as a state, to provide those professionals if the church wants to be able to access them for their congregation. It's proven to be very successful in Tennessee and has really made a difference in their outcomes. If you, again, if you do win, January 2025 comes around, what's the first thing a Suzanne Crouch uh, administration does? Well, being a former legislator, um, a state representative, and now president of the Senate, I would start before January, you know, 5th or 6th sure. or whatever that yeah. date is, because the day after the election is when I would start actually working with our legislators, being able to, being able to educate them and get buy-in for eliminating Indiana state income tax, mm -hmm. because while I'll lead the fight for it, and by getting out on it, I'm telling the General Assembly it's a priority for me. They're the ones that actually have to take the action. I'd also start 
day one after the election start raising money for a marketing campaign to get the public's buy-in so that we can provide political cover for those legislators that are making those bold decisions. I would work on that, you know, first and foremost, and then look at how we can move forward with what I mentioned, this faith-based initiative to be able to work to provide mental health services more to Hoosiers uh, moving forward into the future. Would you say those are your two top priorities? Those would be two of many priorities. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, it's going to be a budget session. Sure. You know, so what we will have to also look at, and what I would, what I'm already working on that we would do from day one, is look at how we can reimagine state government, how we can transform how we deliver services and what our government looks like. So I would take our boards, commissions, and agencies and get them down to a more manageable amount, like perhaps 25, 26. We already have people working on that plan. Mm -hmm. And let me give you an example, Phil, of what I think that looks like and how I think it can really help in terms of how we deliver services. So we have early childhood education that I'm a big proponent of. I believe it gives every child the start they deserve. In fact, I was when I was a state rep in 2013, I was the co-author on the pilot program that established early childhood education on the bill. And so early childhood education is housed in Family and Social Services Administration, okay? Right. Now we got K through 12, which is a standalone agency. We've got higher education, which is a standalone agency. We've got workforce training, which is in DWD, along with unemployment insurance. We then have IEDC, which has economic development. So I would pull early childhood education out of FSSA, take K through 12, take higher education, pull workforce training out of DWD, and take a teeny bit of economic development. Mm -hmm. So now we can create a cradle-to-career, seamless education system where we're preparing every child for that next step upon graduation from high school, whether it's employment, enrollment, enlistment, or apprenticeship. You know, they all would be on the same computer system. They all would be operating on the same page. It just only makes sense that we do that and we look at all of state government and look at those opportunities to do the same. I would also, I would also establish navigators in state government and here's why, Phil, because when people call government, it's not because they're having a great day. Yeah. You know, they call because they have a need or they have, a, have an issue. And so they don't know who to call. They don't know where to go. Sure. And so by having navigators, someone that they can call that will get them connected, will make us be able to have government more responsive to the people that we serve. And when we look at reimagining state government, we will be able to find efficiencies and be able to save money, you know, that in turn will be able to benefit Hoosiers. I want to circle back to cutting this, the state income tax because a lot of times you hear uh, when, when it's discussed, people say, oh, that only helps the, the really wealthy people. How does that help this, the middle class and, and people living in, you know, poverty levels? So what's your response to that? My response is, you know, I travel the state and I listen to those Hoosiers and they're hurting right now. People are struggling to make ends meet. And if we can give some of their money back to them, mm. then that helps them. Because government has enough money, I believe. You know, I don't know that it necessarily needs any more money. Right. And when we have an opportunity to look at how we move forward, you know, how we realize efficiencies, how we limit the growth of government, how we end wasteful government spending, and in turn be able to give people money back, uh, to me, 
it makes perfect sense. And then the real benefit to, to that is not only helping Hoosiers, but it's making Indiana no state income tax state mm -hmm. that'll be able to attract people to Indiana, those workers that we need who currently are going to Tennessee, Texas, and Florida. Right, you right, know? yeah. Um, you know, something else that, and I, you know, I've had a couple of, I've done a couple of these so far. Policing is also a major topic, not only uh, here locally, but also nationally as well. Where do you foresee uh, the state of, of, of policing within the Hoosier State moving forward? Well, I believe that as governor, you know, I will stand shoulder to shoulder with law enforcement and will enforce our crime laws to the fullest. And we're going to send a message to the criminals and fentanyl dealers that you may get into this country through our wide open southern borders, but when you come to Indiana, you will pay the price. So we have to look at how do we enhance, you know, the penalties for those who are dealing in drugs, for those who are manufacturing drugs. We have National Guardsmen and women down on the border today. We need to continue to assist in that fight because every state's a border state today, including Indiana. We need to look at establishing, and I'm not even sure we have a mid-state kind of crime uh, coalition mm -hmm. among all of our state police agencies where we need to have better information being shared among the states here in the Midwest so that we can identify those dealers and those drugs that are moving through other states before they get here to Indiana. So to me, it is about also not having a revolving door when it comes to you know, law and to, to the crimes that are being committed. Sure. You know, we're in some counties, particularly Marion County, you know, you have that revolving door. So we need to be sure that we are supporting our law enforcement, making sure that our criminal justice system is keeping those bad actors locked up instead of turning them back on, onto our streets. In your role as lieutenant governor, what type of relationship do you have with mayors across the across the state? I well, mean, quite I, a few of them yeah. have endorsed me, yeah. um, and it, part of it is Phil because I was a local elected official, and so local elected officials identify with me because I've walked in their shoes. You know, I've dealt with the issues they've dealt with at the local level. Uh, I, I I believe that local government is really the most important form of government because it's the government that's closest to the people. And I think that the public sometimes focuses on the national level. And they un don't always appreciate that it's your local school boards, mm -hmm. it's your local county councils, it's your local city councils, it's your mayors, it's your commissioners that are really making the decisions that affect your everyday life. And so recognizing that and being able to give support to local elected officials understanding that the state should never be in a position to do harm to local elected officials and local communities, but rather should be a partnership, is why I believe I have so much of their support. The County Commissioners Association just a couple months ago awarded me with an award as the most valuable elected official to them in 2023 because I understand the issues they've dealt with mm -hmm. and I'm there for them whenever they need help. Uh, looking back, on, you mentioned COVID before, looking back on, on that time, mm -hmm. is there anything that you would have done differently? You know, it, everybody's a Monday morning quarterback. Sure. You know, it's easy to do that, right? That's absolutely yeah. right. And I say we can't look back. We have to learn from what we went through, but then we have to constantly be moving forward and looking forward. And so if we find ourselves in that kind of a situation again in the future as governor, we won't, I won't have lockdowns and mass mandates and, you know, those things that 
cause us to have more anxiety and depression and cause our young people to not be struggling. Um, I think we've learned from the experience that we had. I think we did the best we could at the time. Yeah. Uh, our time is almost up, uh, Lieutenant Governor, so uh, I wanted to ask you, is there anything that maybe I didn't ask that, that you would like to address as we move forward? And obviously we'll have conversations in the future as well. We'd love to have you back on. Sure, Phil. You know, the battle for the heart and soul of America is not going to be won or lost in Washington, D.C., with the endless bickering and the inability to get things done. The battle for the heart and soul of America will be won state by state. And as Governor, I'll make sure that Indiana doesn't become a California, a New York, a Michigan, or an Illinois. You know, I want to boldly lead Indiana into the future, but I also want to protect our conservative values, you know, values that say we'll, we'll stand with our police, that we'll ax the tax, we'll live within our means, and we're not going to settle our children and grandchildren with a mountain of debt. As governor, I'll, I'll support our businesses and our workers so that we can compete with other states and other countries, including China, and win. And the Indiana you and I will build will never cast aside our most vulnerable citizens, the unborn, the elderly, the disabled, those struggling with mental illness and addiction, because they are our families, our friends, and our neighbors. And so the Indiana you and I will build together will never compromise in, in protecting faith, family, and freedom. So do we have challenges ahead? Absolutely. But if we're bold and we stick to our conservative principles, our best days are ahead. So that's why I'm running for governor and um, appreciate support, everyone's support, and um, let's make history together. There you go, Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Phil. From Wish TV, this is All Indiana Politics Podcast with Phil Sanchez. Unfiltered. In-depth, non-partisan coverage, exclusive interviews with Indiana's political leaders. Subscribe to this podcast and listen weekly here on the All Indiana Podcast Network. And be sure to discover even more great podcasts at allindianapodcastnetwork.com.